Tonight we're going to get back to our uh, study in the book of 1 Peter. And um, we're going to work our way through this. And tonight we're going to be dealing with the first three verses of chapter 2. To be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good is not what God wants for his followers. Uh, what I mean by that, sometimes we, sometimes we might be thinking about the future, we might be dreaming about the future, and don't think about what are we doing today. And, uh, and so we, we need to be active today, and in order to be active, uh, we need to kind of just keep check on our own selves. There's some things that that Peter is going to remind the people there in this passage of Scripture that's a real practical obedience. Uh, We teach our children to obey, and we should, Uh, but whenever they become adults, that doesn't mean our obedience ends. Uh, We continue to obey as we live out our lives, not, not because our parents have told us don't do that or don't do this, but because God says don't do that or don't do this. And, and we should always remind ourselves of the sins that uh, can easily uh, sidetrack us in our spiritual walk. Peter in this chapter gives clear commands for living in practical obedience to Christ. Uh, practical obedience is what pleases God. Uh, Jesus showed this obedience when he prayed, not my will, but thine be done. Uh, it wasn't Jesus' will, but it was God's will, Father's will. Uh, sometimes we have to listen to God's will that supersedes what our will is. And, uh, and sometimes that's hard to do. Because, you know, we're adults. We make our own decisions. We make our own plans. And we do what we want to do. And nobody's going to tell us what to do. Uh, except for God. And if we ever get to the place where we don't have to consult God in our decisions, then we're in trouble. Uh, we, we need to always keep Him in life. So I'll do what I'd like to do if it's God's will. If it's God's will for me to do what I'd like to do. And, and, and you know, if there's nothing wrong with it, it's very possible that God's will would coincide with yours. But don't ever get to the place where you say, I'm going to do what I'm going to do and nobody's going to stop me. That's dangerous grounds. Um, when King Saul tried to please God with ceremonial sacrifices, after his obvious disobedience, Samuel said, in 1 Samuel 15, 22, it says, Hath the Lord... As great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. Uh, King Saul claimed to be obedient in principle, but was not obedient in practice. Uh, Obedience was Abraham's uh, practice. In Hebrews 11 and 8 says, By faith Abraham... When he was called to go to a place, obeyed. Okay? And went out, not knowing whither he went. Can you imagine 
that episode in Abraham's life? God says, come on, I'm going to make a nation out of you. Uh, and, 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 and I want you to I want you to come follow me and I'm going to lead you to a land that I'm going to give you. Would you have the faith to, to follow God in that situation, not knowing where you're going to go, just just following God blindly? That's what Abraham did. By faith, he, he followed the Lord. Obedience to God should be the top priority of Christians truly wanting to live a Christian life. Listen, if you want to be called a Christian, what is Christian? Someone who is Christ-like. And what did Christ say? Not my will, but thine be done. So if we want to call ourselves Christians and be Christ-like, we need to follow His example. Uh, living and practical obedience. We're going to look now uh, for at the Scriptures. In 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse number 1, just the first three verses. It says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Uh, again, first, verse number one. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envyings and all evil speakings. First thing I want us to see in these practical <coughs> obedience, living a practical obedience, is five repulsive sins. Uh, in the context of this, this command was given to those who were born again. He's talking to saved people here. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, he says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of uncorruptible, uh, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And, 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 and they had received the gospel. These folks were saved folks. Uh, they were church folks. Uh, 1 Peter 1, 25 says, But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. We're talking about saved people. We've got to get things in context and know who we're talking to. We're talking to people who are supposed to know better. People whose sins have been forgiven. It is a continuation of the commands regarding how uh, saints were to live in holiness. Back in the first chapter, uh, verses 13 through 25. This is a continuation of that, of that, that, uh, that dialogue. The first word says wherefore, or, or, or therefore, is how we would say it today, connects the thoughts of this verse back to something Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22. It says, seeing that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Most of these sins, about all these sins, have to do with how your relationship with others in the church. Uh, how you get along, how do you interact with those brothers and sisters. Uh, and, and so this verse, wherefore, means it's tying it back to the previous chapter and the things that we've learned uh, uh, in that point. Every believer in Christ should regularly examine his life to admit, confess, and quit sins that not only harm himself but others in God's spiritual family. We need to take an inventory of our life from time to time. 
Are we living a godly life? Is sin creeping into our lives, causing us to have bad thoughts and bad actions? Uh, there's five sins to be laid aside. Uh, we're, we're too often tolerated, and if not confessed and forsaken, could destroy fellowship in the church. These five sins can destroy a church. And, and we need to be aware of it. Uh, God's doing some wonderful things through this church, and I'm looking forward to what He has in store for us. The last thing that we want is for there to be problems amongst its membership. And, and I, I, I have to bring this up constantly because every time I've seen God start working in a church, Satan is going to rear his ugly head and do his best to, to distract and deter what God wants to do in a group of people. And so I have to warn you and, and over and over again to, to be on your guard, to, to watch for this happening. Um, uh, to live in practical obedience, believer must put away or discard or get rid of these contaminating sins. The action of laying aside means to have put off from oneself, laid aside, or put away all five of the sins that are to follow. This verb described in, uh, witnesses laying down their robes at the feet of Saul when they were stoning Stephen. In Acts chapter 7 and verse 58 says, And cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. It's the same word, to lay down, to settle down, to settle off. It, it is also used in a metaphoric sense, encouraging believers to put off their old, unredeeming lifestyles. When a person gets saved, if they truly repented, their lifestyle is going to change. Some people say, well, I, I hate to be a Christian because, you know, I'll have to give up this and I'll have to give up that and I'll have to give up this. So, uh, you know, if you're really saved, you can't wait to get rid of that stuff. You, you, you don't, you're not giving up anything. You're, you're gaining in your life. You're gaining so much richness in eternity. A life in eternity. And, and uh, um, the fact of the matter is, when you get saved, you can do all of these things that you want to do. The problem is, your want to's change. If you're truly saved, you don't want to do those things any longer. If you're truly saved. Some people, I wonder, when you see their lives, you wonder, are they truly saved? not my role to, 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 to judge who is and who not. I can't tell. There's no way I can look at you and say you're going to heaven and you're not. But I tell you what, you should be different than we were when you got saved. Amen. Amen. Um, it's also, uh, different forms of the word are translated cast off, put off, putting away, laying aside, or laying, lay apart. All of these words describe uh, this laying aside of these sins that we find in verse number 1. Uh, and so let's go through the crimes, the, the different sins. The recipients of Peter's letter were to have laid aside all malice, meaning every bit of ill will. Have you ever wished something bad on somebody? Uh, 
I know you, this is not confession time. <laughs> that person that cuts you off, and I hope he gets a flat tire. <laughs> that ever happened? <laughs> um, you know, we think things like that. Malice, thinking ill will for someone else. Wickedness or desire to injure. This is to be put away without exception. This evil causes people to hurt each other, to injure or inflict pain, and would have no place in a Christian's life or at church gatherings. Listen, we don't do anything to other people. Well, I'll just show them. Kind of attitude. Listen, we don't take revenge. Uh, we don't try to show them who's boss. That's, that's not Christian. Those kind of actions have no place in the church. God, Paul commanded the same separation for the sin in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, it says, and be ye kind one to another. There's a one you can grab a hold of and hold on to it. Be ye kind one to another. Okay, let's go on. Uh, as it tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Uh, we, can, we, we, we need to be separated from those things. Colossians 3 says, But now ye also put off, there's that word again, put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. We're supposed to put that off. And in James 1.21, he's commanded this sin to be put aside. It says, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Uh, this malice has no place in the believer's heart uh, in, if you're in Christ. The second one is all guile. Um, Guile was to be laid aside. This word guile means deceit, craftiness, cunning, and ensnaring words that relate to falsehood or trickery or slander. In guile, deceit takes on the appearance of truth so the gullible will be fooled. Um, it means to catch with bait or to be deceitful or misleading. When a fisherman puts on a worm, on a hook, his purpose is not to feed the fish. He's not looking, he's not looking to fatten the fish. His purpose, it, 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 but, to, uh, but to craftily hook the fish so that he can feed himself. Uh, that kind of encompasses what that uh, what that word means, uh, guile. Uh, uh, when people practice guile, they purposely mislead with the appearance of truth for selfish gain. Um, deceit. Uh, making people believe something that's not true because you want the benefit. Paul was worried that the Corinthian church was being beguiled by falsehood in 2 Corinthians 11.3. He says, but I fear 
lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve uh, through his subtil subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Paul was concerned that people would come in and trick these people and, and make them go in a direction that was not godly, was not biblical. Uh, and he, he, he expressed that concern. In practical obedience to Christ, all guile uh, is to be thrown out if the believer is to live for Christ. Guile is to be thrown out. Uh, the third sin to be laid aside was hypocrisies. I don't want to go to church because it's just a bunch of full, uh, full of hypocrites. How many times have you heard that one? And, and, and the fact of the matter is, there might be some that, you know, are not living godly lives, but the majority of folks are true to the Lord. Um, I usually come back and say, well, you may as well come and join us with the rest of us. I mean, if you're, you know. <laughs> um, hypocrisy, which originally meant the acting of a stage player, but it came to mean disguise or trick. To pretend that you are something that you're not. The best scriptural definition was given by Jesus when he said to the Pharisees, Ye hypocrites, uh, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, The people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Uh, Jesus recognized them. Uh, during Jesus' day, the Pharisees were the primary experts in hypocrisy. Jesus said that hypocrisy was the leaven of the Pharisees, the sin. Everything they did was for show. Uh, they, the, 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 the front they put forward, uh, they, it was all about, hey, look at me. I'm righteous. I'm, I'm holy. I'm, in fact, I'm holier than you are. Uh, that was that was their their game plan. That was what they uh, tried to perceive and project uh, to the people uh, that uh, that saw them. I mean, they started with the dress. They looked holy because they told you this is what holy people look like, uh, and, and and they looked down their noses at the you know people who were everyday people, you know, the common sinners. Well, Jesus didn't like them, and God doesn't like them today. Listen, we are all sinners saved by grace. None of us are able to live above sin. And, and we have to deal with it every time. Let's not come across to somebody and say, you know, uh, uh, come to our church. You know, we we we're all good people here, and we don't do anything wrong. That's you know they think that already. Uh, you need to debunk that and just let them know. Say, listen, we're we're all in pathetic shape. That's why we come because we need help. We need God to work in our lives. We we need Him to help us to grow and to to change where we are. And and and, and you need that too. And, and, and so, uh, this, is, this is what uh, uh, Jesus had to deal with. Je uh, hypocrites tend to pretend to be something they're not. 
among Christians, hypocrisy is the difference between who believers really are and who they pretend to be uh, when around other Christians or in the church assembly. Jesus despised this sin among the Jews probably more than any other. Uh, hypocrisy is to be laid aside because it dishonors the Lord and hinders the church. Hypocrisy amongst God's people probably turns more people away from the Lord than any other sins. Um, people that know you, know how you live in the real world, not just how you live on Sundays. Um, they're watching you. They're taking note. Oh, your, your church is going to have something special. Or, you know, you say, hey, come on my church. And, and you wonder. And, and, they, and they think to themselves, um, go to your church and, and you behave like you do. You say things like you do. I'm not sure I want to go to that church. Um, this can hurt. This can hurt. This can, this can make a difference. And, you know, if you lose your testimony, you have nothing. Uh, let's be real. Admit when our faults. Confess our faults. Get past our faults. And let's be the right type of testimony. The fourth sin to be abandoned was envy. Envies. Uh, meaning jealousies and resentments. This, this sin was identified with the old unsaved lifestyle. And Romans uh, uh, 1.29 says, Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, uh, whisperers. Galatians 5.21 says, Envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, uh, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's pretty straightforward. Uh, those who participate in those, those sins. Envies may become visible when there is irritation at the success of others and maybe a desire to have what someone else has. Uh, for the Christian, genuine love will defeat envies because love doesn't envy. Remember in the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3, or verse 4? Charity or love suffers long, is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. So we have the fourth. Um, sin that Peter deals with. The fifth sin Peter mentions is to be a, to be a bandit uh, as um, the saints pursue the obedient life it is all evil speakings. All evil speakings. I hear that on a weekly basis in this church. On a weekly basis, I hear people speaking evil of one another. Oh, they say it in jest. But do we really want to be known for always criticizing, always uh, putting down? Is that, is that what we're supposed to do in church? 
Um, this means inflammatory, defaming, slanderous speech. The words evil speakings is plural, meaning every individual kind of evil slander must was to be stopped. This word describes speech that was intended to harm the reputation of another. I hear somebody say something and somebody else is going to spout off. No, that's not right. And they don't know what they're talking about. Just for the sake of argument. <laughs> this is not godly. This is not godly. They may or may not be right. But it's not meant for you to be the police of God's church. Uh, we're, you know, we're to love one another. Speak kind to one another. Not evilly. You know, sometimes when we spout off like that, it really hurts other people. And, and is that what we're going to do? Tear each other down? We've got to stop it. Uh, it's got to stop. Uh, this word is only found here in, in, in another form in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 12 and verse 20. It says, For I fear, lest when I come I shall not find you uh, such as I would, and that I shall be found unto you such as ye would not. Lest there be debates, envyings, wrath, strifes, backbiting, whisperings, swellings, tumults. Christians ought not to speak in ways that slander or insult others. You shouldn't all even do it in kidding. I've seen that since day one when I came here. You like to pick and laugh, tear down. That needs to stop. That needs to stop. Uh, put downs should be put down. In, uh, because the practice of it grieves the very Spirit of God. As we, as we look, just turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Starting with verse number 29. It says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. Even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Amen. Listen, it doesn't get any plainer than that. If you're in the habit of putting down, making people feel bad and being argumentative, you need to quit. You need to stop and start building up and encouraging one another instead of tearing one another down. That's not the Lord's business and it has no place in God's house. Peter did not instruct these saints to work on or fight against these five deadly sins, but they instead needed to lay them aside as they would their filthy garments. To put it off, to lay it aside, don't pick it back up. Um, 
They should throw them away so that true spiritual growth could occur. The second area that I want to talk about is four reasons for study. Uh, as we look at uh, chapter uh, 2, verses 2 and 3, it says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Sin distracts from, from, from spiritual growth. To live in practical obedience, Christians must lay aside harmful sins and, and, to, and grow in the word. You, you've got to lay down some things, but then you've got to pick up some things. Uh, they, they go together. And, and as long as you don't, as long as you're holding on to some things that you need to lay down, you're not going to be picking up some things that you need to pick up. It, it, that's just the way it works. Uh, put those things down. Uh, to live a practical obedience, Christians must lay aside harmful sins and grow in the word. The ones born again in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 23, as newborn babes, we're expected to grow. Amen. The statement in this text is not uh, a new sentence, but a continuation of verse 1. Putting away the detrimental sins will produce an appetite for God and for His Word that results in growth. It's natural for God's children to thirst for Him. Uh, in Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsted for God, for the living God, which shall, when shall I come and appear before God? However, when, when worldliness and disobedience fills your life, there may be no room or desire for spiritual nourishment. It's real hard to pick up God's Word when you know your life isn't what it's supposed to be. Let me turn this around. How often do you read? If you don't read like you should, chances are you've got some sin in your life that's hindering you. When was the last time you read? It ought to be a daily thing. I know we're busy people. we got a lot of things going on. Uh, but if you're too busy to read and study God's Word, you're just too busy. Uh, no matter what you're doing, that should be priority. We should read and we should study. If the sins and attitudes and actions listed in verse 1 are not forsaken, it will quench the spiritual appetite and stifle uh, uh, future growth. Nothing can replace the Word of God in the Christian's life. God's Word brings life because it is pure, alive, and eternal. Time spent reading, hearing, studying, memorizing, and meditating on the Word of God is never wasted because uh, it will always accomplish God's desire. Um, in Isaiah 55, uh, verses 10 and 11, says, For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth in bud, 
that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. God gave us his word. And he wants us to read it and study it. Peter gives us four reasons believers should take time to spend in God's word. As we look at this, uh, uh, these, this study attracts spiritual growth. First of all, as babes, babies naturally want milk. Saints should long for the word. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. The most natural action of a newborn is to want his mother's milk. It's a nourishment of life for them. If babies are not fed frequently, they will cry and fail to thrive. Uh, their biological drive for their mother's milk is God's creative way for them to gain strength, health, vitality, and growth. It's the way God made us. He, he, he made us to desire that milk. They understand without that, that nourishment that they, they, they'll, they'll never survive and they'll be very miserable. How is it that we as Christians think we don't need nourishment? How are you going to grow? You've seen some people that got saved and man, they just blossomed. They, they learned and they studied. And you see someone that's been saved for many years and they still don't know much of anything. What's the difference? Well, could be some sin that's slowing you down. And it could be just a lack of an, of an appetite for God's Word. Uh, we just don't study. Other people do. Uh, and it's a shame because that's not the way God made us. Um, when a baby is hungering for milk, nothing else matters. All other needs fade into the background. Peter said... That is the way believers should desire and long for the Word of God. If you long for the Word of God, you seek His righteousness and His, His, His growth, His nourishment. Uh, all the other things come second. Everything else. Thirst for the Word uh, should be as fervent a spiritual need as physical food is for the newborn. Secondly, the second reason believers should spend time in the Word is because it is the sincere milk of the Word. The word sincere only here uh, in the New Testament means without guile, unadulterated, and pure. Saints need the pure Word of God, not well-meant words of men uh, to, to help them grow spiritually. You, there is no replacement for the Word of God. Uh, and, and we must have the Word of God. Absolutely nothing can take the place of Scripture in the life of a child of God. Not books, not education, not preaching, not commentaries. Nothing can replace the, the, the enrichment and nourishment of the Word of God. Only the Word of God is living, powerful, and sharp. It alone is God-breathed, inerrant, faultless. And free from imperfections and impurity. Only the inspired scriptures.
can make the child of God thoroughly furnished unto all good works or fully equipped to serve God. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The third reason saints need to spend time in the Word is because the Word alone can produce spiritual growth, that ye may grow thereby. That ye may grow thereby. All living things grow. That, that applies to a church, too. If a church ain't growing, what's it doing? It's dying. If a church ain't growing, it's dying. And, and a Christian life, if they're not growing, they're dying. You're not going to be uh, productive. Uh, parents continually look for evidence of growth in their children. Uh, th this is natural and expected. We used to have a, a particular wall in, in Romania as our kids were in that growing stage and putting lines every once in a while. And you could see them, it put the date beside it. And, and we hated whenever the kids were gone and they left and we went through and remodeled the house and I covered up all of those markings in the house too. I think we got a picture of it. <laughs> um, we all, we expect that. We, we, we look forward to that. We love to watch the progress of our children as they grow. Um, and um, God provides His Word so Christians can grow, that you may grow thereby, so that He may be caused to grow in it. We, everyone needs to be growing. Let me ask you this, are you? Are you growing? I mean, are you literally growing or are you just being reminded week after the week that you need to make some changes? Are you growing spiritually? It, it, it is the duty of every believer to, say, to lay aside carnal detrimental sins so that each may receive the perfect, pure Word of God and grow spiritually. If you're not growing, you're not being the person that God wants you to be. It, it's, it, there's no other way to look at it if you're not growing. The fourth reason to spend time with God in, in, in the Word is that He is gracious. As children of God, take in the sincere milk of the Word and grow thereby, they taste repeatedly of the good grace and kindness of God. Because believers have tasted the goodness of the Lord, they should long for Him increasingly. Do you, do you want more of God today than you wanted last week? Do you have a greater desire than you had yesterday? That's the way it should be. Uh, have, a, have a greater desire as time goes on. Um, this concept is based on the Psalm of David in Psalm 34 and 8. says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusted in Him. Peter wanted his re readers to remember their uh, experience with the Lord 
And he assured them that the same Lord who saved them by his grace would continue to be gracious, meaning virtuous, good, kind, and benevolent to them. They had tasted the good grace of God when he saved, secured, and nurtured them. And they could know that he would continue to be God, kind and gracious to them. With the psalmist, we could say, God is good. God is good. Peter has some important things for us to see from this passage of Scripture. He wanted to show us some sins that can easily sidetrack what God wants to do for this church. And he showed us when we put those things off, there needs to be, to go along with that, to keep us strong and make us grow, a love and a desire for the Word of God. I've asked you again, how often do you read and study God's Word? Uh, probably not often enough. What about these five sins that were mentioned in the first verse? Did any of them hit close to home? We need to put those things away. We need to put that off, put it down, walk away from it, and don't pick it back up again.